Hello and welcome to the Dr. Richard podcast, a show about health, well-being, fitness and humanity. I'm Dr. Richard Marks. Today I'm excited to welcome Andy Acton. Hello Richard. Hello. Um, Andy is a business leader, podcaster and known as the dental broker. He's co-owner of Frank Taylor Associates, which is the largest dental broker in the UK, FTA Group, FTA Law, FTA Wealth and FTA Media. <laughs> How are you and what three things make you smile? So to start, I'm very good. Thank you. I good, feel good. great. Um, I think a lot of that is just a mindset. I think if you wake up and you want to feel good, you will be. Um, yes that will carry through your day and it becomes a kind of repeating behavior yes what makes me smile um my family makes me smile for sure um i'm blessed to have a wonderful wife i've got four children they've got partners i've got a granddaughter wow so i go by the term grand dude i feel oh, a bit wow. young to be a yeah granddad. you look so, so young wow. I, uh, but yeah <laughs> no my, my, my family and it's one of those things that if my family are happy then i'm happy Yes, um, but every time I see them, they make me smile. I think something else that makes you smile is we're recording this in London. London makes me smile. Mm. It's got positive energy. It's got a great vibe. There's just so much beautiful architecture. And I think the buzz of, of living and being in around London, it makes me happy. I mean, it's my city anyway, but whenever I come into central London, just the mood of seeing people out there and enjoying themselves. And we're now getting back to what feels like real London after the last couple of years. So that does. And I think, the, the last thing that makes me smile is a smile. Yes. I think they're contagious. I think I genuinely. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I, but no, I think they're contagious. I think if you're out and somebody smiles at you, you will get a smile back. Mm -hmm. it, it, That's it, true. It, it's just the way it works. And it, it's at the kind of the most basic level. I think a smile takes it so far. And quite often we don't know the impact it has if we smile at somebody. You don't know what their day's going like. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. smile at you, you could just make them get that little lift that they need in that moment. Yeah, yeah. You can spread the smile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like a Mexican wave of yeah. smiles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so what is a dental broker for people who don't know who are listening? So effectively, um, the start point would be we'd value a dental practice. And then it, we, we work a bit like an estate agent in a residential world. So we would effectively match buyers with sellers. So as a broker act for the seller, um, we have people registered with Frank Taylor Associates who want to buy a dental practice and, and we match the two together. And it, it, it is a matching service. It's, it's at a crude level, it's very commercial. But actually, really what you want to do is you want to put in place a buyer that subscribes to a similar set of values and, and approach to dentistry and business as the person who's selling, because then that gives them the very best chance of, of carrying that business on and being successful. So, yes, it's a commercial transaction, but it's more of a, there is a matchmaking service yeah, element to dating. it as well. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> and how has it changed over the years, the industry, since you've been in it? How long have you been in it? So I bought Frank Tone Associates with my business partner back in 2000, and it, it actually started back in the 1980s. And it, it started out as a service. There was Frank Taylor and his business partner, Sandra Rhodes, and they worked for Claudia Sash, a dental supply company. And they were dental reps, and they used to go to dental practices, and people would say, so my practice, how does my practice compare to the one down the road? And that was the kind of the embryonic start of a valuation business. They worked in, as an internal department for so long, Claudius Ash. Claudius Ash wanted to stop doing it. They started Frank Tone Associates. They ran it for 12 years. And then Chris and I bought the business. And in the early days, it was very much trying to find that individual bespoke buyer for a practice. And then back in 2006, when what was called the new NHS contract came in, 
the number of people wanting to buy went through the roof. Mm. You know, we, we're talking thousands. At the moment, there's about 5,500 people in the UK wanting to buy a dental practice. The numbers are, are ridiculous. Wow. And when those numbers shot up, the model had to change. So it became more of a marketing practice to the number of people wanting to buy because since that time, there's been a massive disconnect between the available stock, the practices for sale, and the people wanting to buy. So you've got about 5,500 people wanting to buy and in any given year, we're probably looking at something like seven to 800 dental practices change hands. Mm. So it really is stacked very much in the in the seller's hands mm. at the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're an entrepreneur and business leader, um, but how did you actually come to specialise in advising the dental industry? What made you want to buy this business and how did it happen? So it, it kind of... It wasn't by accident, but I worked with my business partner, Chris Trevins. We worked for a bank in the city. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we were responsible for, we worked in the, in the head office department, was planning out the strategy for how the bank could lend more money to dentists. So we approached the bank and said, look, there's this little business called Frank Turner Associates. If you acquired that business, you could then capture all the lending for dentists in the UK because they were the, the leading provider and, and, and still are. And the bank said, not really for us. It's a bit small and it's a bit niche. So we followed up with the secondary question, which is, well, would you mind if we would buy it? And to our utter surprise, they gave us permission to buy the business. So we bought the business. We retained Frank and Sandra's consultants for a period of time. And in the early days, we didn't really get that involved in the business, which was an utter mistake. In terms of mistakes in business, never buy a business and just leave it on the shelf and don't do anything with it because it will just not perform. It will create loads of issues and problems. So we said, Chris and I sat down and said, look, this, this isn't going to work. We either need to commit and get involved in this business or we need to do something else with it. So we both committed and, and joined the business full time, which at the time, to give some context, I was late 20s. Um, I had two children. My wife was pregnant with twins and I was leaving a job in the city. Um, so it was, it was quite a big step. Yeah, it, was, it was quite a big step. Um, having said that, we had complete confidence and belief in the business and what we could do in growing it. So we joined the business. Um, we knew about dentistry from our background in banking, but what we didn't know and what we didn't foresee was just what owning and running a business was going to look like. <laughs> and what is that like? It's challenging. I mean, <laughs> in, in the early days, I mean, you know yourself, you're a, bus- you're a business owner. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The things you read in books, the things you hear, uh, what it looks like from the outside looking in is nothing like the daily reality. Um I'd say even to this day, you know, I've owned a business now for 22 years. Um, 80% of it is understanding people. Um, I hazard a guess that 100% of your patients are people and 100% of your team are people. Of course. (laughs) So so if you're not in the people business, you're not in business. And I think one of the dangers is we talk about managing people but it's actually managing individuals because every individual's got different needs. And I think if you just try and have an approach of just managing people, which is kind of what I did in the early days, you struggle because you have this kind of broad brush approach. But actually you need to sit down and understand what each of those individual people want. And that was that was quite a revelation to me as a, as a young new business owner to understand that I need to invest time in understanding what people want and then motivating them based on what's important to them. So that, that was a real shock in the early days. But also just juggling time. You know, I had a young family, uh, I had a new business, I had a business partner. You know, I'd never been in, in business with anybody before. So there were lots of moving parts and things to learn quite quickly. And we were young, we'd taken a large loan from the bank to buy the business. It had to work. You know, there wasn't really a plan B. It had to work and thankfully it, it did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that um, 
you know, I'm lucky because I have relatively small teams, um, but as long as everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction, that's the ideal, is to get everybody mm. on a common goal. And you really want each individual to care about where you're going mm. and why you're going there rather than they just turn up to work. So mm. I think that is the key, is kind of... Which can be hard, you mm. know, because obviously um, lots of hard things can happen, lots of um, issues can occur. But if you can just get everybody kind of wanting to go in the same direction. I think what you said in a roundabout way is having a vision. Yeah. I think if you've got a vision and you can articulate that, people know where they're going. And I think it also enables people to self-select whether they don't want to be part of your vision. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than having people in your team who don't really buy into the culture and don't really buy into where you're going because then that they kind of distract other team members, they potentially disrupt things. At the worst case, you have saboteurs. So if you're able to clearly explain what your, your vision and your strategy of where you're going, then I think it's much easier for people to follow you. But I think also when you're absent, so when you're out of the practice, working on the business or you're on holiday, there's a team of people that continue yeah. with, that, with that thinking in terms of where they're going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Tell us more about Frank Taylor and Associates. You mentioned, obviously, the FTA Group and those other businesses underneath, like FTA Law, FTA Wealth and FTA Media. So how did that come about and what are those? So it, it, it grew organically. So we had a valuation sales business, which if you think of a store, it's a one-legged store, which is not a great store to have. You really need more legs to your store. So... We looked at it in the early days and we said, well, we're from a banking background, me and my business partner, so why don't we have a, a commercial um, loan brokerage? Because then we can help arrange den help dentists arrange funds to buy dental practices. So that seemed a natural extension and that worked really well and that team has now grown and that's an independent business in its own right. And this year we'll probably arrange somewhere between 180 and 200 million pounds of money for dentists to buy practices. So, so that's great. Related to that, if you borrow money from a bank, increasingly they're wanting life insurance, critical illness cover, locum cover. So we created FGA Wealth, which is an insurance and protection business, so that the dentist can get their, their insurance and protection needs met. And it also does pensions and investments, so that made sense. And then back in 2016, we identified that legal services for dentists um, could be improved in terms of access. And we felt there was a gap for another player in, in, in that space. And obviously through Frank Train Associates, there's quite a, a large need for legal services on the commercial transaction side of things. So we created FJ Law with um, solicitor partners, which is based up in Leeds. And that's now a full service law firm dealing with transactions, property, um, HR, employment, litigation. So it's a full service law firm. And then the last piece of the jigsaw was FJ Media. Um, and we we had no video content. So we were quite good at marketing, but we had no video content. So back in 2018, um, we sat down and said, look, we were kind of seeing where things were going and we were moving on from print to images and images were now becoming video. So we had to start creating video. So as an internal project, we created some video content for ourselves and posted on our social media platforms and it was well received. And our dental clients came to us and said, look, we've seen you to do video. Where and how are you doing this? And we said, oh, it was an internal project and never wanted to miss an opportunity. So I thought, well, if people are asking for it, perhaps should we have that as part of our offering? And as a result of that, we now have FJ Media, which is a video production business. 
and we're retained by a number of clients where we produce all their video content for their practices or their courses or conferences and exhibitions and we also provide bespoke work for individual dental practices be it show reels or patient testimonials or team introductions or whatever else it might be and so it's all they've all been kind of the business services that we feel dentists would need um, and as long as it meets the test that it's something that a dentist needs we're interested in looking into it we're never going to stray off the path and go into we're not clinical at all but also um, you know um, selling mobile phones or solar panels or anything like that <laughs> it's really the business services for dentists where we focus yeah yeah it's like vertically integrating yes. everything into yeah one. exactly that's great. And um, so what business advice would you give to dentists? I know that's a broad question, but what's the most important business advice you could give to dentists? I think, I think, um, I think you need to understand your numbers, uh, I think, as dentists. And it's hard because at dental school, there's no time given to business whatsoever, which from a patient point of view, I get. I'm going to the dentist because I want a good clinician. However, as an associate or a practice owner, you are going to be in business. So I think understanding the numbers in your business are so, so important. Um, you know, what the, the flows into the practice are. And this isn't just knowing what your turnover is. What's that made up of? What sort of treatments are being delivered? Understanding what your core costs are because you take one from the other and you've got your net profit. And... In good times, arguably, there's always a bit left over, whereas we are going into a climate with inflation where it's at, interest rates are going to increase, um, energy prices are starting to bite. I think there's still supply chain issues coming out the back of COVID. It's not going to be as easy to maintain profitability as it has been in the previous years. So I think understanding numbers is really important. But also I'd, I'd suggest that dentists should think about CPD, in, in two ways. So there's the obvious CPD, which is going on clinical courses, which dentists love to do. But I think dentists should have a separate budget for non-clinical CPD. Hmm. And they should be looking at communication skills, interpersonal skills, leadership, management. They should be looking at building their, their skills because in the short term, you can go on a clinical course. You can go on a clinical course on a Saturday, treat patients on the Monday and get your return on investment of that course. Business courses are, are slower in terms of their return investment, but that it's a slow burn. You know, if you learn uh, a business skill, which means you're going to be a better communicator with your team and you can better articulate your strategy, that's going to be a useful skill to have for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So I'd, I'd encourage people to think about their development as clinical and non-clinical and, and allocate their budget accordingly. Because the easy thing to do is always to gravitate towards clinical sure, because, yeah. because you're, you're, you're scientists, you're trained technicians. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what business advice would you give to your younger self? Oh. Um, or what life advice? I think, I think from a business point of view, I think life isn't as much about what you earn as what you spend. Mm. I think that I think if you build a grandiose life too early, which has a large cost to, to live it, I think that can be difficult and that can be challenging. So, for example, if you are thinking about buying a dental practice, you may want to defer buying a house. Because to buy a dental practice in the current climate, you need to put down about a 10 or 15% deposit. So the average house, uh, average dental practice in the UK sells for about eight, nine hundred thousand pounds. So you're looking at somewhere between 100 and 150,000 pounds by way of a deposit, roughly. That's a significant sum of money for somebody who's relatively early on in their career. So 
if you use some of that money to buy a, a house, that deposit money now has gone. Um, if you decide to buy a nice shiny car, that money might have gone. If you decide to have your third holiday in Dubai, that money might have gone. So I'd encourage people to, to think about how they how they allocate their money. But like I say, for, for me, if I could go back, I'd say, you know, don't overly stress about what you earn. Just don't build an expensive life because in that way, you're then always going to have available that, that surplus to, to do the things that you want to do. Yeah, yeah. I can think of two things on that where... Um, Firstly, you know, that's the advice people always say, as your income increases, don't increase your mm. lifestyle because then you're never going to have any money left to save or invest or whatever you want to do with it. And then um, when I first started um, my actual practice, which was in 2011, I remember it was a big shock. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'd come from earning a decent, you know, um, salary and I was doing locums and things mm. like that. And, um, various associate jobs and then all of a sudden you know running the practice and I remember not going to Starbucks or anything like that you know at all I mm. was like that you know three four pound coffee was the definite no um it's know, amazing how time. how much those small discretionary spends can can build up and I think one of the things that dentistry does offer is um it's well paid you know, compared to the national average, it's it's a well-paid profession. So some of those small discretionary spends don't necessarily get noticed because, you know, people have the money to do those things. And on a micro level, when it's just you as an individual, yeah, that that's okay, that's tolerable. But then when you start moving to a situation where potentially you have a family or you have a business that also needs to be taken care of, those things can start to run away themselves. So, for example, materials in a dental practice. If you have somebody with a budget... And if you have somebody who's responsible for controlling that budget, they'll make sure that stuff doesn't go out of date and there isn't excessive wastage. And when they reorder, they try and reorder on, on, you know, if there's discounts available. But if it's not controlled, that number can easily run away. And when you've got a practice like yours, which will have a significant materials cost, you know, at the end of the year, you could have spent thousands, if not tens of thousands of pounds more than you needed to without having a good control system. But then if you take that back to a very micro level, that's you buying your Starbucks, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's yeah, the same yeah. thing, just on a different level. Yeah, well, I always, um, when it comes to the practice, um, I have one person who does the ordering and mm. I check it all. Yes, yeah, You good. know, I think that's the best good way system. to do it, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, as you say, all those little things add up. But it's interesting how also people have said, you know, when you start a business, don't get married and don't have children. <laughs> but I think that's not always the right advice. I think if you have, let's say, a partner who's supporting you, who's supportive of what you're doing, and they say, look, I'm going to go through this hard part of the journey with the hope, it might not happen, that we, you know, get mm. to a better place in the future and they're alongside you, and maybe even your children are old enough to understand that as well, then that's the best outcome. Oh, know. totally. I mean, uh, you know, a partner and family, they're, they're stakeholders. You know, whether they've got a formal state shareholders, they are stakeholders in the business. And I think getting your, your family on side is important. You're going to put in long hours. There's going to be long hours. There's, there's, there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be frustration. You're going to go home. You're not going to always have the best of days. And to have an understanding partner, I think, is really important. But also they should also then be able to share in the joy and the success of it as well. And I'd also encourage people who perhaps are thinking about buying a business to talk to their partner and family members and say, look, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? They know you better than anybody. 
mm-hmm. and your family should be as honest as anybody as well so they're going to give you a really good steer in terms of whether they think you're going to be able to achieve that or areas that you, you you may you may fall short and you just want the best chance of success as possible but now i completely agree i think getting those people who who are close to you on board re- really helps because they can share in the success but also if things are hard you've got that 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 blanket that you can lean back on to help you yeah, yeah. Well, I like the way that they can give you the real truth. But yes. I'll be worried if they say, there's no way you're <laughs> to this. Quit now. <laughs> yeah, that'd be heartbreaking. <laughs> exactly. Um, so tell me about some challenges you've overcome on your journey, either business challenges or personal challenges um, that you've kind of encountered to get where you are. I know potentially every day is a challenge but <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think more. i think in the early days um it, it was probably just taking on on too much and not understanding how much time and effort and work was going to be involved in in owning and running a business like i say, i had a young family at the time um it was a new business i'd never been in business before and just all those small things. So I work for a large organisation. I work for a bank. So, for example, if, if my computer stopped working, I could ring an IT guy and disappear off and have a coffee, come back and, you know, Jerry would have it sorted. It would be working again. When you have your own small business, you're, you're the person who's on your hands and knees under your desk, fiddling with the computer, trying to get it working. And that's just a, a micro element of, of the difference of working for an organisation and it being your business, you're responsible for everything, you know, whatever happens. So in the early days, that was quite challenging um, because you need to switch off. You know, none of us are any good. You know, whilst we think we've got this endless energy, actually we don't and, and our performance dips and we neglect the people around us and everything else. So I think in the early days, I, I'd certainly have changed how I went about it. And, and whilst I felt that I was invincible, I probably should have slowed down a bit more and, and balanced my time because I think I'd have probably got better results if, if I'd have done that. And also going back to the people thing, I it would have been great if I'd have understood earlier on that you don't manage people, you manage individuals. Mm-hmm. I think that that is kind of something I've learned over time, but I'd encourage people who are early days into business to really talk to their team and really understand what's important to them because I think if you can really hone in on... on what's important to each of the people in your team, you can really make a massive difference in their performance, make their environment more enjoyable. And particularly at the at the moment with recruitment issues, the more enjoyable you can make the team who work with you, uh, their environment to stay with you, the less likely they are to leave. And, and somebody leaving a business is always disruptive. It, it disrupts you know, the, the team left behind. You have to bring in a new team member. You have to train them. It's, it, it's, it's hard work. So, yeah, it's, I think it's probably around being more aware that we're, we're only good if we're in good shape and also making sure that, that the people you work with uh, are treated as, as individuals. But, I mean, thankfully, I didn't have any any major disasters uh, and I think that was probably more luck than judgment <laughs> to mm-hmm. be honest mm-hmm. yeah exactly a lot of these things can be luck and also you're kind of learning as you go along mm. Mm. You know what which I mean? is part of the fun it yeah, is yeah. I think if you do anything where you know how to do it um, 
end-to-end -end and it's not challenging. Yeah, I think about yourself, perhaps with dentistry, I'm sure you've had some cases that look like, you know, cases you've done before, and whilst you still get outstanding results, it's perhaps not clinically challenging. Whereas if you have something that stretches you, that's probably a more enjoyable case to work on, just because it, we like to be stretched as humans, don't we? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I like to do the most challenging mm. cases, definitely. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is when it came to kind of business, I think I knew about a little bit about running practices because my father ran them and I used to watch him and watch right. what he was doing. And, um, you know, he was a, he's, he's a brilliant um, guy and no longer running practices. But, um, you know, I kind of picked up things that I thought were really good and things that I thought I'd like to change that slightly. Um, but um, I also think I wish I had learned more about business before I started, mm. you know. I think, I think part of the problem with with learning about business, it, it really is by doing. I, I think there's there's endless courses online. You know, you can go and do MBAs. There's no substitute for the reality of being in a business and needing to deal with whatever comes at you on a daily basis. Um, and it's great you had your father as a, as a you know as a father, but also perhaps as a business mentor, mm -hmm. somebody you could you could look to. But it's interesting what you say about him being great at things i think you can also learn so much from people who are really bad as well because i think you just flip it yeah you know, when you see somebody you know i don't know potentially kind of you know chastising a team member in front of other people you think well, i would never do that mm. I, I would never have that conversation with other team members present so even though it's it, it's not a good behavior i think quite often we can still learn from the way things are done that, that aren't good because we just flip it and say well okay so i'd never do that so how would i do it Mm -hmm. So you end up building this, but I think it, it very much is a, a on the tools type experience. I think it's, it's, I mean, sure, you can go on courses and you can learn about it, but I think until you practically apply what it is on a daily basis, I don't think it actually becomes real. And also I think that managing running a business requires personality. And I think if it's just vanilla and it comes from a textbook, it feels quite robotic. Whereas I think if you get emotional about it and you get invested in it, that's when I think amazing things can happen. And I think that only comes through experience. Yeah, yeah. And I believe it's, um, you know, there's, it's kind of coaching people in a way, mm. you know. And um, I've even had an external kind of coach um, come from my, into my staff and um, to kind of go through the things that they, you know, want to improve on. Yeah. You know, and, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, everyone's got different ways of, managing people and trying to get the best out of everybody mm. um, but yeah I think that that's a valuable thing as well which is is the way it should be you know you get you know people like Steve Jobs you know very direct it's either kind of you know do it my way or there's no place for you um, and then you get other people who are very consultative and and you know wanting people's views and opinions and and they can both be equally successful there's no rule book that says you have to do it like this or you have to do it like that I think the thing that is really important is it has to be authentic to you. I think however you go about it, yeah, if you are direct, then kind of own it and be authentic and make sure it's congruent in everything you do. And over time, I think people will respect you for that. They won't might necessarily like your style, but they would respect you for it. I think where management and, and leadership goes down a dark alley is when I look at you, Richard, and I'm like, okay, so I like Richard and I'm going to be like you, but I'm not you. So mm. I kind of mimic you. Mm. And that just feels weird because mm. you end up kind of trying to behave as somebody else. And 
it's not true as your authentic self. I think you need to kind of understand who you are and have a style that belongs to you and then run with it and be consistent. I think your team really appreciate the consistency of how they're treated because then they know kind of what the answer is going to be when they answer something. I think if every time an issue comes up and, and you're kind of all over the place in terms of how it's dealt with, people just don't know who they're, who they're dealing with. So I think trying to find a style that's authentic to you is, is really important. Yeah, I think, um, you know, your business or with my clinic, it kind of has my ethos and mm. what I believe in, um, you know, positivity or whatever it is, yeah. making people smile. And I'm, I remember one of my associates said, oh, you know, I learned a lot from you, how you keep level-headed, whatever happens in the situation. And I didn't even know that that was something I was doing. That just is how I deal with things mm. anyway. But... It was interesting to hear that somebody had learned something from mm. me without me directly. Mm. But that's, I think that I think that's a that's future. a great compliment to you. But also, I think there's a message that people are watching us all the time. We're always being watched, and and how you do one thing is how you do everything. So, just because people weren't watching you, you're still doing the right things. I think that's a great testament to to being authentic. I think if you change your behaviour based on how whether people are watching you or not, then there's a flaw in there. Mm. The fact that people were watching you and still learning that just means that you just have a particular way of doing things and whether people are watching or not didn't actually affect the way you did things you just have a particular way of doing things and from a from an authentic point of view for your team that's really comforting to know that that this kind of there's a a version of richard and we know who he is and i think i think that's really powerful yeah being your authentic self basically yeah absolutely yeah and learning to bring the best out of your Mm. what is yourself yeah yeah (laughs) So you now co-host a podcast called Dentology Podcast. Um, tell me about that. How long has it been going and who's it aimed at? So we started, the way that came about is during lockdown, there was um, a new audio-only social media platform called Clubhouse. Um, and I remember. It, it, <laughs> I'm a member. <laughs> it, it, it came and went incredibly quickly, but it blew up over about a three-month period. Has it gone now? I think the platform's still there, but I haven't... People don't use it. No, I think the app's gone for my phone, as it has for a lot of people. Um, But what it did is it enabled us to talk to dentists and other people uh, and have conversations, and I really enjoyed it. It was really good fun. The downside to it is it was live, so it wasn't recorded. So from a selfish point of view, it wasn't a good investment of time because unless people happened to be around at 7.30 on a Tuesday evening, I couldn't get to talk to them. And then I started to see the drop off and people weren't listening. And I thought, well, I've really enjoyed the conversations. I wonder if now's the time to drop off Clubhouse and create a podcast with the benefits being that we can record it when it suits us. That becomes evergreen in that it can sit on Spotify, Apple Music, on YouTube. We can share that content ongoing. And there's the marketing benefit of of sharing that content online. So we thought, well, if we did that, what would it look like? Um, My world is the business of dentistry. So a business-related dental podcast sort of made sense. Um, I'm nosy as well. I quite like talking to people and finding out about people. So our start point was, if we could hear people's life stories, if we could share some business tips and we could make it fun, I think that would be a pretty good three things to put a tick in the box. And so that's what we did. So we started about seven or eight months ago. Um, We're up to 60-something episodes. Um, We put out a episode every week uh, and we've talked to, to lots of people lots of 
um, business providers um, to the dental profession, um, lots of dentists. Hopefully you're coming on yourself soon, which will be <laughs> yes, great. Yes, that will be great. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's trying to just share different perspectives because I have a thing that dentist is an ecosystem. We're all joined up. And whilst the dentist is talked about an awful lot and it's not belittling their role in the profession whatsoever... There's this myriad of people that also support dentists, you know, hygienists and therapists and nurses and practice managers. And then you come down the level and then you've got all the supply companies with the labs and the materials. And, and then you've got all the business support services. And we are all joined up. We, we will all succeed together if we all work together. So part of it was trying to give airtime and profile to, to dentists for sure, but also other people that, that support the profession. So we can just highlight the fact that you know, there's lots of good stuff going on. And the more we can hear and the more we can join those dots together, the stronger the profession will be. And I enjoy doing it. It's, it's good fun. Yeah, yeah. I think as well, um, that's the way dentistry changed over the years. You know, it used to be like the dentist, but now there's a dental team. And, yeah. you know, that's talked about a lot and how everyone works together. And as you say, the whole ecosystem of people who surround that as well. Yeah. So there's a lot more now than, you know, and it's a lot more collaborative Yes, yeah, and and I think it needs to be as 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 time moves on and more competition comes in in and you know there's incredible developments in terms of technology out there. You know some of the things that are happening with AI and digitization are, are just incredible. Absolutely. So that brings me on to what do you see for the future of dentistry and the dental profession? I think there's going to be um, more entrepreneurship. Uh, I think that started to come in in the past, you know, six, eight, ten years. But I think there is more entrepreneurship, which I think is needed because I think there is going to be more competition. Um, and I think when I say competition, I don't. Yes, it's going to happen within dentistry, but also I think dentists need to be prepared for the competition outside of dentistry. So if you're operating in a space where you're doing smile makeovers or high-end dentistry and, and potentially you're looking for a patient to pay five, seven, ten thousand pounds for the treatment plan or above, you're not necessarily competing with the dental practice down the road. You might be competing with the summer holiday or a second family car or a conservatory. And that's what I mean about competition. You know, there's going to be people who are trying to get their hands on your patient's money, but not necessarily for dentistry. And it's how you articulate your your message and you get buy-in from your patient because dentistry is a it, it can be perceived as a relatively selfish purchase because it's for me as an individual and okay when i smile my, my wife sees my smile so there is a kind of you know there's a residual effect on her but it, it, it is quite a selfish thing it's for me so it's it's understanding that the competition um for that money which might be for family reasons has to be directed towards towards a dentist so i think there's going to be some some work required around there in terms of how that gets articulated. I also think, going back to the digitisation and, and AI, um, it is coming. We're seeing it coming into so many other areas and, and there are some new innovations coming in. I think if people can grasp that now, that's better because what that will do is that will free up the clinician's time to spend more time having conversations with patients and run a more efficient practice because that's that's the golden bit is the interaction with the patient you know anything that can be systemized you know a digital workflow beyond that is good news because you know it's all about kind of how valuable is is the time in the surgery you know when you're talking to a patient in the chair in the surgery that's the maximum time when you need to be earning earning money 
and it's what other services and, and things are available around you to support that time but also to create the best environment possible so the patient has a good experience and if you can use you know digital workflows and, and ai to get a better outcome for the patient that, that's good for everybody definitely definitely yeah i think that provides two points which i was thinking about one is um sometimes when i'm treating patients they'll be they'll do a couple smile both of them will have it done rather than just the one it's interesting or else if it's um the husband who's coming he usually says I'd better go and discuss this with my wife before I make the decision. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've experienced those mm. those things. Um, yeah, and with the kind of AI and digital, you know, obviously these digital scans now mm. and people taking them more often and it, it's getting more and more advanced with those, uh, yeah. that technology. It's incredible mm. what's already here and mm. what's coming as well. And I think also patients, as patients, we're getting better educated. Hmm. Um, more involved in the treatment yeah exactly i think if you roll right back to the beginning when programs like 10 years younger came out you know i think that kind of exposed patients to a lot of dental jargon and language of what was available since then with the advent of social media with lots of dentists posting cases and and you know people now come into practices asking for particular treatments you know they come in and say i want composite bonding they're not entirely sure what it means but they've seen nice smiley pictures on social media and apparently that's how you look good or they ask for invisalign you know patients have become much more savvy as to what's available so from 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 that point of view yeah there, there's a there's a kind of a push from from patients and trying to manage that from your side, I guess, becomes quite challenging because you don't want them to come and, you know, almost prescribe what they need. You need to wind them back so that you can do your own planning. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I actually do think it's better now. It used to be more prescriptive when mm. you need this and, you know, you're going to have this. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's more kind of exploring the different options, you yeah. know, um, when it comes to, for instance, moving teeth, as you've spoken mm -hmm. about, you know, there's Invisalign, then conventional braces yeah. and lingual braces inside the teeth as well. And you can explore each option and the benefits and advantages and disadvantages of each one. And then you can make that choice, the patient can make the choice, which I think is really good because the patients involved in their treatment mm. you know and then they're, they're also involved in the journey and what can be achieved mm. you know and i think as as people we like that yeah you know i think going on holiday is only part of it planning the holiday and what restaurants and what hotels and how are we going to get there that that's all part of it so i think we like to be part of that and i think that consultative approach i think will sit well with so many people because they'll then feel that they were part of it and then when they get to the end they feel that they kind of they got there with you yeah exactly and they know what to expect and yes. what can be achieved and what what can't and what yeah you know how do you approach your own health wellness and nutrition we like to speak a little bit of health and wellness on this so i it, it's a boring answer but it's consistency i um yeah, so let's let's say that you know we've got seven days in a week, we have three meals a day, we've got twenty-one times we're going to eat. Um, my view has always been, if I have one or two meals in a week that aren't great, that means I've had nineteen that were good. So I think the consistency is if you just continue trying to do good things ongoing, you don't then beat yourself up having a slip. Um, like I, so I swim. Um, I, I tried running, found it really boring. So I, I swim, and I swim four or five times a week. Mm. Brilliant. If I'm really busy and and I don't get to swim, um, that's okay. I don't I don't beat myself up about it because I know 
from a consistency point of view, I will I will keep doing it. And I think forming habits is a, is a great thing. Um, I've tried meditation, didn't particularly work for me. I think being outdoors generally is, is good for you. You know, I, I sort of tried meditation for whatever reason, I just didn't really get on with it. Um, but I think just being outdoors in nature is good. I think fresh air, I think it gives you the ability to move. You will in the, end up inevitably interacting with other people. Even if you're walking, in my case, around Epping Forest, you will see other people, you'll nod, you'll smile. So I think being part of society is good for us. But I think that... On kind of from an, an eating and drinking point of view, I think consistency, I think, is is really important. Um, but I think there is also an, an attitude thing that sits around wellness as well. And that's not to belittle people that, that that are having challenges and difficulties. But I think if you if you feel in in good shape, remind yourself that that things are good. You know, remind yourself that that you are you are content, you are happy. Mm. Because I think quite often we don't give ourselves enough credit for the things when they go well and we're very easy to beat ourselves up when things go badly so going back to the eating you know if i eat burger and chips which is incredibly tasty you know i could feel really bad that i ate burger and chips but actually what i could say is but i've eaten well all week yeah i had burger and chips it's it's not the end of the world so i think i think it's yeah i think for me i think it's body consistency yeah Um, yeah i think once in a while it's not too bad and i think as you said it's the overall that's important yeah know. yeah i think something else that's just um underestimated and it's not that well understood either is sleep yes i think that i was um listening to um, a piece by johan hari um mm-hmm. who who wrote a book and there was a it's, a it's about focus and he was saying that um particularly among children but with adults as well we're sleeping less um as the decades roll on we're sleeping less and less and i think giving ourselves the ability to recharge ourselves and you know cleanse our brain and start the next day with a with a creative and positive outlook is really important and i think it's it's easy to 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 not get the sleep that we need because we're all leading such busy lives but i think if you do get the sleep you need you actually achieve more in the time that you're awake because you're more productive i think it's kind of counterintuitive but i think if you if you get the sleep you need, I think from a wellness point of view, I think that has a really positive impact on your yeah, life. I think so too. Yeah, I remember speaking to one of my patients who um, was like a vice president of CEO of a very big company, and he said, "You know, I sleep very well. I just Matt leave what's at the office at the office." And I thought that's why he's the VPC CEO. You know, that's a great skill. I think if you've got that ability to literally, you know, as you flick the lights off as you leave the office, you literally flick off your work brain. That's a that's a great skill if you can do that. Yeah, I don't think that. Not everyone. No. Doing, you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> Talk to me about your plans for the future in a business and a personal sense. So in in the business, I'm I'm 51. Uh, my business partner um, in Frank Turner Associates is is approaching 60. So we need we we need to recognise that we need to put in place the next tier of of leadership in the business, which which we started. Um, but you know we were talking before we came on air about making big decisions and big decisions take between two and five years so from a from a transition in the business um we need to make sure that we give the new leaders in the business time to grow so i think for the next few years i'll be investing time in in the next generation of leaders to make sure they've got the skills the connections um all they need to to succeed because i i kind of came in there's there's no background in my family my father was a teacher my mother was a nurse 
So there was no kind of business experience, entrepreneurship on my side of family whatsoever. So I kind of just learned it as I went. And there's that old phrase, learn from your mistakes. I'd prefer to learn from other people's mistakes. And if I can pass on my knowledge and experience to the, the next generation leaders in, in Frank Turner Associates, that means they'll be able to get to where I got to in a year or two, which took me 10 Much years. Quicker. Exactly. So that's, that's going to be a priority. And also just kind of continuing to fine-tune what we offer dentists you know as we were talking about kind of you know digital workflows and AI and dentistry there's changes in, in in my world as well and so I need to make sure that we stay stay abreast with that I'm not necessarily looking to start any new businesses but then you know I said that before yeah <laughs> I wasn't looking to start any of these other businesses but when a when an opportunity comes up you know that you kind of grab them but I think the only way that works, I think, is if you have focus on what's important to you, because mm. then I think it makes it really easy to decide whether you will or won't do something. I think it's really easy to get distracted in business because yeah. there's so many I things we, we, we could be doing. So I think staying focused on what we do and delivering excellent services is important, um, but also making sure that this, this next generation of leaders have the, the skills they need to kind of carry that, carry that business on. Yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you for joining me, Andy. All of Andy's details and links are in the show notes. And thank you for listening. If you liked today's show, please rate and review wherever you get your podcast. It was presented by me, Dr. Richard Marks. For more about me, I'm on at Dr. Underscore Richard Double Underscore. <laughs> or visit my website, www.drrichardlondon.com. This is a Pod People production. It was recorded at Spiritland Studios. And the music is by Delhi Music. And we will see you next time.